Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. And we have as our guest host tonight, again, returning Earl Erskine. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, Appreciate thanks. being here. Thanks for coming and for helping out with a lot of what we talk about. <clears throat> We're here on Friday nights to talk about polygamy and polygamists. Or Thursday nights. Even. <laughs> or Thursday nights. <laughs> Okay, here we go. <laughs> but anyway, we're glad that you're here and that you are sharing part of your evening with us. You know, we've already established through many of our past shows that Joseph Smith failed to measure up to the high standards that God has set for a true prophet of God. Joseph Smith simply did not qualify in any single category. Brigham Young was the second president of the Mormon Church, of course. All the presidents are also called prophets. And tonight we're going to put him up to the measuring stick that God has established so that we can determine if that man was a true prophet or not. Now we're going to use two qualifying points to make that determination. What is the biblical measurement of a prophet of God? Well, the qualifying point number one we find in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And it says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, Let us follow other gods, gods you've not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. So, did Brigham Young teach about other gods? Did he teach the people to follow anyone besides mm -hmm. the Lord God? Well, without question, he did. We quote from the Journal of Discourses. Volume 4, I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, that this is the gospel of salvation, and if you do not believe it, you will be damned, every one of you. And so he's teaching that people who don't believe in Joseph Smith, and his gospel will be damned when the Bible says that the only thing that's wrong is if we fail to follow Jesus Christ yeah. and him alone. So a true prophet would never ever place a sinful human being on equal level with Jesus Christ, which of course he did with Joseph Smith and Joseph did that with himself as well. About other gods, Brigham Young said this. In volume 7 it says, How many gods there are, I do not know, but there are, never was a time when there were no gods and worlds. And in sounds like a lot of them. That huh? sounds a lot, doesn't it? And there? in volume 3 it says, The Lord created you and me for the purpose of becoming God like himself. We are created to become gods like unto our Father in heaven. And so he's preaching many and many sermons. We, there was so many quotes that we could yeah. have taken for this declaring that there are other gods, even claiming in one of them that Joseph Smith had already become a god and was his god. He said, so he fails the, the qualifying <laughs> number point one. number yeah. one of that test. Yeah. So qualifying point number two comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 through 22. 
But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So, did Brigham Young ever prophesy something that did not take place or come true? Now, that's a very important question. Now, D. Michael Quinn received his Ph.D. from Yale University, and he was a history professor at Brigham Young University, and he wrote in his book, Mormon Hierarchy, Origins of Power, that Brigham Young supposedly had revelations on August 24th of 1844, January 1st and January 30 of 1846, and May 28th of 1847. According to Quinn, these revelations are either unavailable to read or Brigham Young disallowed them to be published. Now, we know he had other revelations, but at least these four, we, 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 can, we can know what they might have been about, but he, he, did, he did, didn't even want them to be published, and they're unavailable to find. Why? If God gave them to him, <laughs> you think they'd be important. Why would they, yeah, why would yeah. they hide them from us? On February 27th of 1845, W. W. Phelps said this about Brigham Young. Brigham Young has found out that we are in eternity. The millennium has now commenced. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and Surprise. on April 6th of 1845, Brigham Young announced to General Conference, Know ye not that the millennium has commenced? So obviously Brigham Young <laughs> fails as a true prophet because the millennium has not yet no, commenced. No, it hasn't. But he said it had twice. Now, we're going to look at two qualifying points for God's appointed leaders. We're going to read in Deuteronomy 17, 17. He, the king, must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So, the king was the leader of the people. He was to set the example of obedience for the people. How many wives did Brigham Young have? Fifty-five. <laughs> wow. Okay? Now, David and Solomon both disobeyed God in this as well, and yeah. there was big trouble over it, for of course there was. How much treasure did Brigham Young accumulate? Now, many accounts record that he was worth millions of dollars, even taking money from the church treasury for his own personal use. Wife number 19 by Anne Eliza Young, who was one of his plural wives, tells of some of Brigham Young's underhanded financial dealings, especially in chapters 12 and 20 of her book. The infamous handcart disaster was a distinctly avoidable tragedy, and it resulted only because of Brigham Young's greed to save money through exploitation of the people. We read from an e-book entitled, The Mormon Monster. Brigham Young organized what were called handcart expeditions for these immigrants, placing their household effects together with the children and feeble persons in handcarts. They would pull the handcarts over the plains and across the mountains. But the journey proved too long and the labor too great. Food gave out. The weather was bad and large numbers of them perished on the way. Brigham Young at first took a great deal of pride in his handcart plan, but finding out how it turned out, he put the blame on the Apostle Richards and publicly in the tabernacle 
tabernacle held him up to ridicule and scorn. Now, mm. We've done a show on this handcart disaster a few years ago, and it's uh, horrible. The details are absolutely yeah. horrible, what Brigham Young did, all for the sake of money. And if Brigham Young had been a true prophet of God, the handcart disaster would never have happened. It was his decision alone, and it failed. Now, God isn't the author of plans that end in human suffering and tragedy and torture like the handcart expeditions turned out to be. Brigham Young's reputation among those who knew him on a business level rather than as a religious icon went something like this. Yeah, that's good. Brigham Young is very differently regarded in Salt Lake City. By the Mormons, he's regarded as a Moses who led them out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. They consider him a kind of demigod. But by the Gentiles, he's considered more of a demagogue than a demigod, ambitious, scheming, cunning, selfish, grasping, coarse, lustful, loving power, money, and women in the order named. His statue is placed in, the, in a conspicuous part of the city, but it was done by the Mormons over the indig indignant protests of the Gentiles, who now take their revenge by calling attention to the fact that he stands with his back to the temple and his hands stretched out toward the bank, which attitude, they say, is quite characteristic. <laughs> And I remember that for years that, that I heard that. I didn't fully understand all yeah. about it then, but they've moved, since moved that statue, they of course. Have, yeah. but, so by four qualifying points, we find that Brigham Young has failed the test as a true prophet of God and a godly leader for his people. First test, teaching about other gods. Second, failed prophecies. Three, greed and love of money. And number four, polygamy. Now there's various biblical sounding titles were used to describe Brigham Young, and two of them are the American Moses or the Mormon Moses, because he led thousands of followers to leave Nauvoo in an exodus across a desert to find a new home in Utah, and some even called it the Mormon Exodus. Brigham Young and his men entered the Salt Lake Valley in Utah on July 24th of 1847 and began to settle what is now Salt Lake City. And Brigham Young was sometimes also called the Lion of the Lord. A home was built for his harem in downtown Salt Lake, and it was called the Lion House. Yeah. And it remains there. In fact, it's a, a tourist attraction. And, of course, it tends to glorify the Mormon monster, which in, in reality is polygamy, according yeah. to that book. In 1985, biographer Leonard J. Arrington authored a book entitled Brigham Young, American Moses. He explained his reasoning behind the subtitle, American Moses, and we quote, Brigham was the same sort of a leader as Moses in serving people for a long period of time in achieving their goal of entering into a kingdom blessed by God. There's no trick reason why I should have used American Moses. I thought Moses was a person understood by nearly everybody and that Brigham was something for us that Moses was for the people of Israel. He led his people figuratively and quite literally and they survived because of that leadership and their faith. Now, we must wholeheartedly and even heatedly disagree with any comparison of Brigham Young with Moses or compare the Mormons' trek west with the exodus of the Israelites out of, e uh, out of Egypt. There are no 
legitimate comparisons. Brigham would fail every single comparison if we did that. We want to discuss what kind of man that Brigham Young was by his recorded deeds, not from whitewashed history, but from the historical writers of that day who were not afraid to tell the truth. We are discussing this because Brigham Young, like Joseph Smith before him, set up polygamy as an essential for eternal life. He often mocked polygamous wives, and he claimed that men could become gods by taking plural wives. The polygamy groups today behave the same way and teach the same stuff. If polygamists could be convinced to study out the truth of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and other early Mormon leaders, they would discover that polygamy did not, in fact, could not have come from God, and it never was his plan for eternal life. And hopefully that truth would set some of them free to get out and to make a better life for themselves and for their children, and even before they had children, to get outside of the confines of a false religious system and false gospel that was set up by these early Mormon non-profits. After settling in Utah, Brigham Young set up a theocratic government, which means the Mormon church governed the people and the territory. That is precisely what the polygamy groups of today are doing with their members. The leadership runs the people's lives. They take their money, they take their minds, they take their daughters, and just like Brigham Young, they claim that's what God wants. Hmm. In 1852, they openly and officially added polygamy as part of their doctrine, their practice, and their requirements for eternal life. This open acceptance of polygamy added greatly to the hatred and the disgust with which the Mormons were regarded by the rest of the country. Polyandry, which is the marriage of one woman to two or more men at the same time, was taught, and so was the doctrine of blood atonement, which was the murder of the body to save the soul. All of these teachings were coming from Brigham Young. He was no Moses and he was no prophet. Some of the information we gathered for tonight's show is from a book entitled The Mormon Monster, which of course is referring to Mormon polygamy. But as we have studied the lives of, of early Mormon leaders, we wonder if this title could just as easily be applied to Brigham Young. Is he the Mormon Moses as some have referred, or could he be called the Mormon monster? We'll let you decide as we talk about him, his character, his love for money, his autocratic tyranny, and his polygamy, and of course, some of the very odd ideas he preached as truth from his bully pulpit. This will be a two-part show because we just do so too much information yeah. to cram into one show uh, to do the topic justice. Now, regarding the original leaders of Mormonism, Mr. T.B.H. Stenhouse, who was a Mormon who, and who was under the Brigham Young's leadership, wrote this following information. Yeah, and he had some good insights here. Yes, he did. The Lord could not well have chosen a more despicable set of thieves and liars than they were taking the testimony of their brethren as evidence. Mormonism did little for them in the way of reformation and grace. They must have been a hard lot before they accepted the new revelation. Sidney Rigdon was, after the death of Joseph Smith, charged with the determination to rule or ruin the church. 
and in the language of the reporter, Elder Young arose and delivered Sidney Rigdon over to the buffetings of Satan in the name of the Lord, and all the people said, Amen. Party P. Pratt, another very prominent Mormon, and the author of some of their principal works, was killed by an enraged husband for running off with his wife. And these are the men who were the founders of Mormonism. <laughs> with an exclamation point as well, there yes. should be one. These yeah. were this, the integrity, the character of some of these men. Yeah. We always remind our viewers what Jesus said about the fruit coming from the root after its kind. We have another quote from the Mormon monster. After Smith's death in June of 1844, Brigham Young was by the by the accident of seniority at the head of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles, and he had ambitions of his own. So he had Rigdon arrested on the charge of determining to rule or ruin the church. He was tried, condemned, cut off from the church, and delivered over to the buffetings of Satan. Having thus disposed of his rival, Brigham Young then proceeded to rule the church, and he ruled it with a rod of iron. Implicit, unquestioning obedience was thenceforth the distinctive feature of Mormonism. Joseph Smith once said that if Brother Brigham ever got control of the church, he would lead it to hell. This was about the only prediction of Smith that ever came true. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a good place to make mention that no man is to rule over any people in the name of God. Only Jesus rules as King of Kings and as head of his people. Men who serve God in leadership positions do not rule. They shepherd they lead by being a servant. They do not drive the people or dictate to them. And of course, this is probably a totally foreign concept it in is. Mormonism. It I is. know it certainly is in polygamy groups. In a book entitled Brigham Young and His Wives, uh, The True Story of Plural Marriage, that's the books on the screen. I've got this little book here. It was written by John J. Stewart, and we want to quote what was said of Brigham Young during his time. All the company now seems to be talking of Brigham Young and his greatness. Brigham Young, prophet, seer, and revelator, a king and a priest unto God, himself a god in embryo, Ooh. the revered husband of many wives and father of many children, president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, governor of the territory of Utah, the great and respected colonizer of the American Southwest, prosperous and powerful, his word law to thousands of followers. Now that that's a pretty... <laughs> pretty fancy discussion that they have of Brigham Young in this book. Um, many misinformed faithful have made Brigham Young larger than life and yeah. calling him a god in embryo. Yeah. I mean, that's blasphemy. They've idolized him. They've turned him into a king, even, even the god in embryo, like he said. Was he revered, though, because of his godliness to the people that he was with at the time uh, or because of fear? of who he was yeah. and discussed of what he did and represented. If Brigham, in determining if Brigham Young was a true prophet of God, let's look at some of the things that he taught as doctrine. And we will begin with his teaching of blood atonement. And we quote, oh boy. There is not a man or woman who violates the covenants made with their God that will not be required to pay the debt. The blood of Christ will never wipe that out. Your own blood must atone for it. So here he denies the power of Jesus' sacrifice, making the sinner's own death more powerful for forgiveness than Jesus's. And then he advises murder to confirm his own doctrine. We have another quote. 
It is true that the blood of the Son of God was shed for sins through the fall and those committed by men, yet men can, can commit sins which it can never remit. And yet, <laughs> we read in the Bible that all sins can be forgiven through the blood Jesus shed on the cross, and we read from Colossians. Yeah, chapter 2. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Notice it says he forgave us all our sins. Now, what does the word all mean? <laughs> it covers it all. <laughs> Brigham Young frequently contradicted what Jesus taught. These verses in Colossians were not changed by Joseph Smith when he revised the Bible. Mm. So who should we believe? Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, or Jesus Christ? Think about it. Yeah. We have another quote. This is from Stenhouse Continues. Few notable cases that have properly illustrated the blood atonement doctrine that one of the wives of an elder who was sent on a mission broke her marriage vows during his absence. On his return during the height of the Reformation, she was told that she could not reach the circle of the gods and goddesses unless her blood was shed, and she consented to accept the punishment. Seating herself, therefore, on her husband's knee, she gave him a last kiss, and he then drew a knife across her throat. That kind and loving husband still lives near Salt Lake City, it's 1874, and preaches occasionally with great zeal. This cannot be the work of God. No, there is really no can't way. Be. Whatever else it is, it is not of God. And Brigham Young taught it and practiced it. And revered as a prophet of God. And yeah. revered as a prophet. Yeah. The next one, we could go on and on with all of these, but yeah. we won't. We'll briefly cover the one on blacks. In 1848, Brigham Young instituted a priesthood ban designed to prevent the black male from holding priesthood authority. Brigham Young also canceled any priesthood and temple blessings that previously had been given to black members. He prohibited blacks from performing Mormon temple rites, including endowment and sealing, and he taught that they weren't worthy because of a curse that God had placed on them. This is no Moses. <laughs> Brigham Young said the Mormon church will be destroyed if whites marry blacks. I think we can call that a false prophecy. I think but so. But you have a good quote. I do. <laughs> the moment we consent to mingle with the seed of Cain, the church must go to destruction. We should receive the curse which was placed upon the seed of Cain and never more be numbered with the children of Adam who are heirs to the priesthood until that curse be removed. Now, the curse of the blacks began with Brigham Young. I know the church denies that now and says everything is all sweet and wonderful, but it was Brigham Young who taught it, yeah. and it was dogmatic with him. Uh, Mormon polygamists today continue to believe and practice Brigham Young's prejudice. Yeah. Um, they believe that he was a prophet and that the blacks are still under a curse. Mm. There are so many thoroughly disgusting teachings and activities that took place under Brigham Young's leadership. Sometimes it's difficult to pick which is the worst. Our next topic certainly is among the most monstrous. We're going to start with number three, murder and violence under Brigham Young. And first we'll briefly talk about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. 
On September 11th, 911 of 1857, at least 127 men, women, and children were massacred as they crossed Mormon land by wagon train by order of the leadership of the Mormon Church and Brigham Young was the leader. Bishop John D. Lee, Brigham Young's bodyguard and an officer in the Mormon militia was made the scapegoat and eventually was executed for the bastard, uh, for the massacre. And we're going to quote something from John D. Lee's attorney. Attorney, right. William Bishop. It says, The Mountain Meadow Massacre stands without a parallel amongst the crimes that stain the pages of American history. It was a crime committed without cause or justification of any kind to relieve it of its fearful character. When nearly exhausted from fatigue and thirst, the men of the caravan were approached by white men with a flag of truce and induced to surrender their arms under the most solemn promises of protection. They were then murdered in cold blood. It's an awful, yeah, it's an awful, an awful story. story. In the book, The Life and Confessions of John D. Lee, we quote something he said. Yeah, he wrote, I had many to assist me at the Mountain Meadows. I believe that most of those who were connected with the massacre and took part in the lamentable transaction that has blackened the character of all who were aiders or abettors in the same were acting under the impression that they were performing a religious duty. I know all were acting under the orders and by the command of their church leaders, and I firmly believe that those, that most of those who took part in the proceedings considered it a religious duty to unquestion, unquestioningly obey the orders which they had received, that they acted from a sense of duty to the Mormon church. Yeah. The Mormon people, especially the polygamists, have historically and loudly complained that they are and have been persecuted for their beliefs. And of course, we don't and cannot condone the persecution of any people, no matter who they are. And also, we can understand why it happened. Mormon beliefs produced monstrous actions, making people afraid of them and of their polygamy and afraid of their blood atonement doctrine. But worst of all, those who scream persecution have actively done the worst persecuting, as the Mountain Meadows Massacre shows, and some still do. About this massacre, we have another quote. And these are the people who complain of persecution. If they are not allowed to enter our pulpits and our homes, no wonder the massacre sent a thrill of horror throughout America. It was a revelation, an unmasking of the Mormon character for which the people of this country were hardly prepared. Efforts were made to bring the offenders to justice, but with the usual craftiness and deception of the Mormons, they succeeded in thwarting these efforts for quite a while, and it was not until 20 years afterward that Major Lee was executed for his part in the terrible affair. But the real criminal, the one who was morally, if not directly, responsible for the massacre, whose influence encouraged it, if his brain did not plan and his tongue order it, was not touched, and his name was Brigham Young. <laughs> of course, he never owned up to it. No. And um, we want to ask right now our polygamous viewers, do you really want to hang your eternity on the teachings of someone whom they call a prophet, who acted like this. He was vindictive and violent 
and selfish. Wouldn't you rather just trust Jesus Christ alone? He is our great shepherd and he is our only prophet. It's your eternal, eternal safety that's at risk here. It isn't ours, it's yours. Brigham Young taught what you believe and you don't have to do what you're doing in order to do what Brigham Young said, become a god and go to heaven. Our next example of murder and violence under Brigham Young is the Springville Parish murderers. And we have been asked in the past several times actually by viewers to talk about this on one of our shows. So tonight we will do that. Some of our quotes about this tragedy are taken from the book, The Story of the Mormons, written by William Alexander Lynn. And chapter 8 tells the story of these murders. William R. Parrish had migrated to Salt Lake City uh, from Nauvoo after Joseph Smith's death, and he settled in Springville, Utah. Now, Brigham Young had sent Bishop Johnson, in, who was in Springville, a letter to discover the intention of certain people who were rumored to have secret intentions of apostatizing, and William Parrish was one of those people. In his letter, Brigham Young wrote, quote, lock the stable door before the horse is stolen, end quote. He used code instructions telling the, those in charge what to do to stop apostates from escaping. We quote Bishop Johnson's response after his visit with the parishes after he read this letter. One evening early in March of 1857, a bishop named Johnson, husband of ten wives, with two companions called at Parrish's house in Springville and put to him some of the questions which the inquisitors of the day were wont to ask if he prayed something about his future plans, etc. So he's there talking yeah. to Parrish, trying to figure out what his plans are uh, to, to determine when he plans on moving and getting out of there. Yeah. It had been rumored that the Parrish's devotion had grown cold and that he was planning on taking his family and his one wife and six children and escape to California. About a week after Bishop Johnson interviewed William Parrish, a meeting took place and we quote, at a meeting about a week later, A. Durfee and G. Potter were deputed, deputed to find out when the parishes proposed to leave the territory. Durfee got employment with Parrish, and both of them gave him the idea that they sympathized with his desire to depart. One morning, about a week later, Parrish discovered that his horses had been stolen and efforts to recover them were fruitless. So they took his horses <laughs> so he couldn't get away. I guess so. And this Potter and Mr. Durfee were bait. They were using them as bait, as spies. Unfortunately, William Parrish was not suspicious of either man. In fact, he confided in them about his plans to escape. And he told them that his house was constantly watched, how difficult it was for him to get out the few articles required for his trip, and Parrish suggested that he and Durfee walk out of the village together in the daytime as being the best method not to look suspicious. We yeah. quote. They carried out this plan, and when they got to a stream called Dry Creek, Parrish asked Durfee to go back to the house and bring his two sons, Beeson and Oren, to join him. When Durfee returned to the house at about sunset, he found Potter there, and Potter set off at once for the meeting place, ostensibly to carry some of the articles needed for the journey. Potter met Parrish where he was waiting for Durfee's return, and they walked down a lane to a fence corner, where a Mormon named William Byrd was lying armed with a gun. 
Here occurred what might be called an illustration of poetic justice. In the twilight, Bird mistook his victim and fired killing Potter. So he killed the wrong man. He was shooting for, for um, uh, Parrish, and he got the spy instead. And William Bird, of course, was the shooter. He arose, and Parrish saw him and asked him if he had fired that shot. Well, William Byrd immediately drew his knife and he grabbed a hold of Parrish and in his own words he said he worked the best he could in stabbing him. Well, the best he could actually turned out that Parrish was cut all over and stabbed to death. And we quote, Fifteen times in the back as well as in the left side, the arms and the hands. But Byrd knew that his task was not completed and as soon as the murder of the elder Parrish was accomplished, Taking his own and Potter's gun, he again concealed himself in the fence corner, awaiting the appearance of the parish boys. They soon came up in company with Durfee, and Bird fired at Beeson with so good aim that he dropped him dead at once. So now he's killed, killed the, son too. the son. He had killed Parrish and his first son, Beeson, and then he turned his weapon on the second son, Oren. But he missed, and Oren was able to run and find safe refuge with an uncle. There's more to this story, but it's time for our mid-show break. So uh, we'll open up our telephone lines and invite any of our viewers to give us a call if you want to add uh, to the conversation at all. Our phone number is 801-973-TV20, 973-8820. And after uh, the break is over, we will continue on with the story and take your phone calls. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of a Shield and Refuge ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at We have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. And with our uh, co-host, Earl Erskine, we have been talking about Brigham Young and some of the things that he did and taught uh, during his reign or leadership of the Mormon people when they came to Salt Lake City. And we do this, we were just talking at break, we, we do this, we bring this up because it's so important for you to know where you get your doctrine from. And if it's coming from anybody but Jesus, 
uh, you need to, to look somewhere else because uh, a man like Brigham Young who cannot even measure up to God's standards as a prophet, surely you won't hang your doctrine on a leader who taught and acted and behaved this way. Well, I was asking you too about the concept of maybe this was a cowboy culture, we don't really understand it, we excuse some of these actions of Brigham Young and these mm -hmm. other early people of, because they lived in a different life than, than we did and we excuse them, but really we're talking about people who are considered to be priesthood holders yeah. and apostles and prophets of mm -hmm. God. Right. Uh, whether that was an old time cowboy culture or a current culture, they sh this just isn't the way God would operate. It's not the way He would no. operate, and that's what we need to establish, that the only way to know if you're getting true doctrine, our eternity is a long, long time, yeah. and and w w everybody is going to die. God hasn't promised you your next five minutes, no. and when you die, you're going to face God, and He's going to say, what did you do with my son? And, and, and if you say, well, you worked him around with Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and polygamy and all that, he's going to send you into a place you don't want to go because you chose to follow somebody else instead of the pure doctrine of Jesus. That's why we do this. Polygamy is not part of of, of eternal life. Mm -hmm. Polygamy never was part of eternal life. And Joseph Smith and Brigham Young both taught that it was and that you could become gods by living polygamy. And that's blasphemy. It isn't true. And if you would study the Bible, you would find that out for yourself. Our telephone lines are open. Our phone number is 801-973-8820. Uh, give us a call if you would like to say something or, or add to our conversation. We've been talking about the Springville Parish murders. Uh, that was authorized, if not um, ordered, by Brigham Young, and how the parish, uh, William Parrish, has been killed, murdered, and one of his sons, they were going for both of his sons, uh, but they missed, he missed, yeah. and only got one of them, and his son that w was missed was Oren, he was able to run and get refuge with one of his uncles, and that's where we ended before the break. And right. so uh, this, this happened because William Parrish wanted to take his family out of the and, and, state and move to yeah, California, but Brigham Young wouldn't let him. And what is very chilling about all this is that's exactly what happens to today's polygamy groups. Exactly. You try to get out of the polygamy group. I mean, they don't, they're not there killing people like they used to. They did at one time. Yeah. You know, the LeBaron group did that big time, and so have some others. But they will do everything they can to keep you from leaving their polygamy group. Um, we've been um, uh, talking about uh, Mrs. Parrish, of course, was... Um, um, no. a widow now, yeah, yeah, and she husband. can't go. The horses are stolen, and so she can't go anywhere. One of her sons is dead. She's now a widow. Her husband and the son's been murdered. Her other son, Oren, escaped simply because uh, of a bad shot by the murderer, William Byrd. And so Oren and Durfee, now this is a twist. Oren and Durfee were arrested by a Mormon officer, and they were accused of being the murderers. Oh, dear. <laughs> And then there was a, a ludicrous hearing uh, by a coroner's jury that took place, and their verdict came out, assassins unknown. Mm. Our, there was one neighbor who dared to speak up to condemn the crime. He was robbed, 
the, the, and that's what you get for speaking out yeah. against the, the, the hierarchy. And the now widowed Mrs. Parrish appealed to Brigham Young because she now is in deep poverty, and we quote what happened. A vain appeal by Mrs. Parrish to Brigham Young, who told her he would have stopped it had he known anything about it, and who, when she persisted in seeking another interview, had her advised to drop it, and a failure by the widow to secure even the stolen horses. Now we know that Brigham Young knew about it, yeah, he denied obviously. he did, because he wrote that letter to Bishop Johnson. <laughs> and according to Judge Cradlebaugh, when he charged the jury concerning the parish murderers, he said that there are persons in this community riding around town on those stolen horses of oh, the parishes, dear. while Mrs. Parrish lived in poverty, often having only bread and water for food. Judge Cradlebaugh exerted great effort to get convictions of this and, and other crimes, but failed. The Mormon machine was just too big and too strong and too ferocious. Now, we have a little bit more to talk about. We've got a couple of calls here, we so we probably need to take them. We have Jody calling uh, from Salt Lake City. Hello, Jody. Jody? Hi. Hi, you're on the air. Thank you. What's your question? Um, I just want to commend both of you for the work you do, and God bless you both, and I just have family that is steeped in Mormonism. I'm not sure how to go about talking to them with uh, history. They don't talk about history. They don't. That's because it's too ugly. Think about history. They don't yeah. even, you know, think about the foundation which their faith is based on. And I'm just so, so, you know, just tired of not knowing what to do, what to say. And so just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is difficult. It's, yeah. it's hard to break through the ice, and we just need to pray for them, which we do, and, and ask God to bring about a time when you'll be able to say something to them. Uh, just, but, but like you say, the, the history is very important. They may not think it is, but really it is because it's the foundation. Yeah. It's the foundation of the religion. And and right. and yeah. and there's something wrong with it. That foundation actually is crumbling very badly right now. Uh, and right. it's going to fall. Jesus said it'll fall with a great big crash. That's what he said. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of this ignorance is bliss, you know, if you don't know something and, and you're not bothered by it. And they certainly don't get any of this information in their normal Sunday activities unless somebody actually was willing to go research and keep them busy. And it just isn't anything that they spend any time studying. Yeah, and they don't unaware, want to. Unaware of it and, yeah, just... Uh, these are two human beings that are educated college and, you know, they profess that, but at the same time, they don't want to, uh, I don't think they seek and no. want mm -hmm. to know the fine print. No. Yeah, they're very intelligent people. Very smart people in well, the church. Well, and they trust their leaders to be telling them the truth. That's true. But, and that's right. a problem because we're, we're going to be held accountable for ourselves by God when the day comes. Well, thanks, Jody. I appreciate your call, and, and we share your pain. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Okay, we have on line three Anne from West Valley. Hello, Anne. Yes. You're on uh, the air. Doris, about 20 years ago, I worked for the Forest Service Seventh Gorge, 
and we met Lee's great 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 grandsons up there mm-hmm. and they came down and talked to us at night and their grandfather had snuck them a letter the night before he died and uh, he really was bitter against Brigham Young because he'd done nothing to help him after he sent right. them up there to, mm-hmm. uh, to that massacre. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, he did and nothing. In fact, he was the scapegoat. John D. Lee was the scapegoat. Yeah. There were a lot of people involved with that, but it came right straight down from the top. Yeah, and he said, I, he told him, he says, I now uh, will uh, excommunicate myself from the church because you're, you've never been here to help me. Uh, and he was excommunicated, but then he was reinstated several mm-hmm. years back. The, the oh. Mormon Church oh, reinstated really? John D. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> sure, that makes. Well, anyway, they used to come down and tell us all. I mean, we had some very interesting stories from his family. I'll it was bet. Really interesting. I'll bet. Have you read the Confessions of John D. Lee? That book. It's, no, it's full of interesting stories. I'll have to. I'll have to look, look yeah. it up and read yeah. it. Okay. Thanks, Ann. We appreciate your call. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thanks, Ann. Bye. Bye. Okay, we have Don calling from Pace, and he says our facts are wrong. Hello, Don. Hello, how are you? Hello, pretty good. You're on the air. Uh, okay, ma'am, I would like to know where did you get your facts and uh, information about um, the massacre? All, all of our, well, we didn't cover in great detail the Mountain Meadows Massacre, but we have, um, at the bottom of every quote, we have where we pick that quote up from. But there's a lot of information out there on the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Yeah, I'm originally from southern Utah, and I actually done my thesis on the Mountain Medical Massacre and all about John D. Lee and everything else like that. Uh-huh. I think you're totally misleading your facts, and your facts are totally wrong. I'm sorry about that. Oh, well, I am too if that's right, but I don't think it is because I've taken this from several different sources. Well, I did my thesis down there, and I'm originally from southern Utah, and I kind of know. Can you be what specific? Yeah, what? You're misleading everything. Your facts are not correct at all. Okay, Don, be specific. What, what were we wrong about? Was, was there not 127 men, women, and children? Hello? Hello? Well, he's gone. Well, I don't know what exactly would be wrong. I, I mean, the, the accounts are fairly clear on what happened. And there is so the much written about, even the church acknowledges it I mean, happened. There are some suspicious things about the, the, the company coming through Salt Lake and people seeing what goods they had and then maybe planning to do something about it. And then later on I heard that Brigham Young, and this may be false too, but Brigham Young was end up driving or riding around in their carriages or something. Or the, yeah, there's a lot of, of talk like car- that. Yeah. And I don't know about that, but the facts that happened in the Mountain Meadow Massacre, that they dressed up as Indians, and mm-hmm. they, I mean, those things mm-hmm. are kind of factual. Yeah, the they are factual. The admitted to those. They, yes, yes. Yeah. And so I don't know what, he wouldn't state any specific that we got it wrong. Yeah. And we didn't go into great detail on this uh, with the Mountain Meadows Massacre, because so many people know about it. So yeah. I don't know what details that we said well, tonight. If, that if he, Don's willing to write, if, if he's still listening, he could write to us or yeah. and, and yeah, share you, with us the details. And we we could address them yeah. again if there's right. some specifics. So Don, if you if specifically if you would like to email us, you we would love uh, to hear from you about what we did get wrong, although we didn't talk that much about <laughs> about the details tonight. Uh, back to the parishes, um, we we have a judge Cradlebaugh who um, 
uh, was involved in this early uh, Salt Lake City, early Utah yeah. Mormonism, and he tried desperately to get law and order among the, amongst the Mormon people, and he found it very, very difficult. Um, he, when the jury, he got a jury together um, to issue indictments on this Springville Parish yeah. murders, and he issued bench warrants and sent the United States Marshal with the military posse to serve the papers because he couldn't get any reaction from them. And from that, finally, when he sent the military posse to issue the uh, bench warrants, he was finally able to get affidavits and confessions of this crime. And Judge Cradlebaugh later remarked, I am justified in charging that the Mormons are guilty and that the Mormon church is guilty of the crimes of murder and robbery as taught in their books of faith. So, <laughs> however you define murder and, murder and, and robbery. robbery. Well, the, the parish, Springville Parish murders, um, of course, is one of them. In regard to those who chose to leave the Mormon church, many were not allowed to escape. And we quote John D. Lee. I say as a fact that there was no escape for anyone of that, uh, that the leaders of the church in southern Utah selected as a victim. It was a rare thing for a man to escape from the territory with all his property until after the Pacific Railroad was built through Utah. Okay, so, so it, the railroad actually made freedom yeah. so that they could get out easier um, and maybe even undercover. So, and that, like I say, that is what takes place in polygamy groups today. Not the murder and the bloodshed so much, but the fact that they don't allow them to get out when they want to go. We have a note on this on our, our message screen here the, for Dawn who just called us and said we had our facts wrong. Please send us our the your thesis. We'd love to read your thesis on um, the, the Mount Meadows mm -hmm. Massacre. Great. And perhaps we can pick up some details from that. Mrs. Parrish made an observation after this and we want to quote part of that. Yeah, this is actually an affidavit. There had been public preaching in Springville to the effect that no apostles would be allowed to leave. If they did, hog holes in the fences would be stopped up with them. I heard these sermons. So they were, <laughs> they were sermonizing they, yeah. their sermons. And if you read the Journal of Discourses, you'll find a lot of very violent-sounding sermons from yeah. some of these leaders. Uh, and here, the, the, hog hole, the holes in the fences would be stopped up with the people yeah. that tried to escape. Yeah. Isn't that awful? Most people who manage to escape from today's Mormon polygamy groups will testify basically to the same attitude among their own people. It often happens within the mainline Mormon church as well. People are mocked, they're shunned, they're lied about and threatened. Some are robbed of all their earthly goods. I can tell you stories of people who have left the Kingston polygamy group and the FLDS and other polygamy groups that got out with nothing more than the clothes that they were wearing when they left. They were cheated out of thousands of dollars and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, property and wages and whatever else of material value that the polygamy group could keep from the one who wanted to get away. Wow. Horror stories. That today, it goes on today, the worst thing that they steal from those who want to leave are human beings, and many times it's their own children. Well, that's what I had heard, that they sometimes have to choose between 
getting out and leaving their children. Oh yes, oh, or they'll threaten the woman if she wants to go, you'll you'll leave your kids behind. And just on the news, just the other day, this woman went to court to get her kids back. Yeah. And what happened when she went down there? They the, all gathered around the car. They something. gathered around and wouldn't for hours. She was trapped in her van until they finally got police that would come and help get the children for her. So, and, and that's what happens. They don't think this is real. It is. They, and it's, it's, it's bad. You know, there's tens of thousands, tens of thousands of polygamists in the Intermountain West. This is not just a little thing we're talking about. Yeah. This is big. And worst of all, they're saying that God told him to do it. That's blasphemy against God, and it isn't true. Okay, we have a call on line one, Kay Brown. Hello, Kay. Hi, Doris Neural. How are you guys Hi, tonight? Hi, it's good, good to hear from you. Thank you. Hey, I just wanted to comment about um, that gentleman. I think it was Don or Dan. Don. Anyway, uh -huh. he called in and he was uh, giving you a hard time about your sources. Yeah. I just question where his sources came from. That well, that's why we've asked him to send him uh, send us his thesis. Maybe he will have all of his footnotes. Exactly, and. Um, you know, anyone can write a thesis, and they can gather information from just about anywhere. Mm -hmm. If he is LDS, perhaps he got a lot of his information from, uh, you know, Mormon sites, which don't always give the full details. That's but right. if he would read, I would recommend that he read Fanny Stenhouse's Tell It All, mm -hmm. and also Anne Eliza Young's, mm -hmm. because Anne Eliza even talks about the Mountain Meadow Massacre mm -hmm. and how it was believed that Brigham Young had everything to do with, right. with that event. Right, right. You're absolutely right. Thank you, Kay, for calling. Hopefully he's still listening and watching the show and heard your call. <laughs> Thank you, Doris. Okay, thanks, Kay. Thanks, Kay. Uh -huh. Bye. Bye. Okay, and, and you know, we've often been criticized uh, or called, we're, we're called persecuting for doing this show. Yeah. And, and we've been lambasted, uh, we can believe however we want. We, we don't say you can't believe however you want. Uh, but, but we've never tried to force anybody to do anything. Uh, we don't persecute anybody on this show. We've merely compared truth with error. We take the Bible and hold it up as a standard, and then we compare yeah. all of our cultural beliefs to the Bible. That's what we do. That is not persecution. That is obedience to God's command. Now we have a couple more comments that we might not have share, uh, time to share at all, but let's do this first one uh, about uh, Brigham Young, who is called the prophet by some people. The first one is from... I, I was not aware of this, actually. So Brigham Young was removed as governor of the territory of Utah. Of course, he was still the prophet, I guess. Oh, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. But others, governors, judges of the United States court, found successfully that they had a new and dangerous foe with whom to contend. Crafty, determined, hesitating at nothing, lying, cheating, stealing, murdering to carry their point. Murder after murder was committed. If anyone made himself obnoxious to the Mormons in any way, he was apt to be found dead, and no amount of investigation would reveal the perpetrators of the deed. So that was the fear yeah. uh, of that time in this valley. Uh, we do have a little more to share tonight. We don't have time to share it with you because it's getting yeah. towards the end of the show. But it's part two is coming up next week, and we do have a lot more to share about uh, Brigham Young. Was he the Mormon prophet, or was he the Mormon monster? How much of this stuff did you know as a good I didn't following know. Mormon? No. 
I'd never really read the Journal of Discourses. That is something I, I'm surprised I hadn't. They were just never crossed my path, and so I really didn't delve into those and all the details. But yeah, and yeah. I, d I didn't either. And in yeah. fact, it wasn't until I discovered all the violence of the early Mormon Church that I finally realized that everything that I had learned uh, as uh, growing up in the polygamy group was dead wrong and couldn't have been from God. <laughs> so we'll cover the rest of that next week. Although there are many excuses to justify the historical Brigham Young and Joseph Smith, those excuses don't fool God. People may tweak history, but they cannot change the truth. God set the standard for a true Old Testament prophet, and those standards are not changeable. And besides that, there are now no more prophets. Jesus himself said that the prophets ended with John the Baptist. The prophetic office that is spoken of in the New Testament is nothing like the Old Testament prophetic work and has no similarity to modern-day Mormon <clears throat> or polygamy group so-called prophets. Jesus came as the final prophet. He said it all. He did it all. He finished it all. What he did, he cannot be added to or made better or made more complete. Jesus came to set us free, and he grieves when his offer of freedom is rejected and replaced with stiff requirements and so many religious works to obtain the false exaltation of mere humans. Jesus came to set us free, and we have great freedom in Jesus. We are not free or we are, we are free, I should say, not to live polygamy. We are free not to observe the united order. And we are free not to be tied to temples and their rituals. We have freedom to eat and drink whatever we want without condemnation. And those who haven't accepted the freedom that Jesus offers and his invitation, that they are bound up in, in religion that cannot bring anyone into God's presence. Jesus alone can do that, and he does, and we pray you'll seek his freedom tonight. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of the Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.